This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Tonight, the FBI confirmed that the shooter, 21-year-old Mohammed Al-Shamrani, a member of the Royal Saudi Air Force, was active on social media. Law enforcement is still looking for a motive. Barely two hours before the shooting spree, someone matching Al-Shamrani's identity posted this on Twitter. Oh, American people, I hate you. Because every day you supporting funding and committing crimes not only against Muslims, but also humanity. The Associated Press has reported that the shooter held a dinner party days earlier where he watched mass shooting videos with three other Saudi students. The FBI says Al-Shamrani carried out the shooting with a legally purchased 9mm handgun. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wants the federal government to close loopholes. The Second Amendment applies so that we, the American people, can keep and bear arms. It does not apply to Saudi Arabians. Investigators are looking to see if the shooter was radicalized during a trip home to Saudi Arabia last year. Paul Violis is a CBS News security consultant, an accomplished author, and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. With over 35 years of experience, he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night. This is Security Matters with Paul Violis. Welcome to Security Matters, where your security matters most. I'm Paul Violas, and this is a CBS News Radio production. As always, a big thank you to everybody writing us in on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, at violas.com, into CBS Audio. The comments have been great. Really, really appreciate that from everybody. Um, If I don't write back right away, please, please, please do not take that as a sign of disrespect. It's just I'm trying to get to everything that I can. I do write everybody back, and I am very, very grateful. So your insight... Uh, is invaluable. Don't don't ever forget that. Today, today a very somber moment in the history of the United States. Um, today we're looking at the mass shooting at the Naval Air Station in Pensacola, Florida. From the moment that it happened, we realized that we were wondering, and, and in many cases hoping, that we weren't hitting the rewind button. But unfortunately, as, as things have developed, it appears we were. What do we know? On the morning of December 6th, 2019, a second lieutenant, who, which will remain nameless on my show because I won't dignify that piece of crap by even mentioning his name, a second lieutenant in the Saudi Arabian Air Force who was training by the good graces of the United States military at the Naval Air Station, opened fire in a classroom leaving three dead, eight injured, before being killed by a a true hero, Escambia County uh, Sheriff's deputy. Three dead, eight injured. Night before, he hosted a dinner party to watch videos of mass shootings with three other Saudi flight students. He got his gun under a hunting license in the state of Florida. Now, for all my hunches out there, please understand what I'm saying here. 
I get it. Hunting is something we, it's been in our country, God willing, will be in our country forever. But we need to do a better job at understanding that when you apply for a hunting license and you go buy a small arms pistol, what the hell are you hunting? We know what he was hunting. And it wasn't game. FBI says it's presumed to be a terrorist uh, incident. And that's according, again, to the FBI. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, this is not the opinion of anybody else. Um, this is not the opinion of CBS News or CBS News Radio. This is my opinion. This is clearly terrorism. And I say that because of this. What else do we call it when a foreign national who we know dates back to 2015 had been showing signs of radicalization by associations and actions. Two years before, he's accepted to train at the Naval Air Station. Hosts a dinner party with three other colleagues. Gets a gun intentionally knowing that he's going to kill Americans on American soil. Spews hate towards Americans. Well, you call that what you want. I know what the hell it is. And we need to start looking at this real strongly. We got a lot of questions right now. There's a lot of anger in this country right now. You know, and if you can't tell, you know, I'm not overly pleased with this thing either. Now, the FBI is going to do an exceptional job here. They're going to investigate that here. They're going to investigate that in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabian government, according to President Trump, has said that they are saddened and grieved. Um, I'll reserve comment on that. Proof's in the pudding. And we'll see if they cooperate 100% with the FBI, with the DOD, and other United States-based investigators on Saudi soil. We'll see if they cooperate also investigating Escambia County Sheriff's Department. We have a lot of questions. How do you get a weapon on base? Well, ladies and gentlemen, just to dispel a couple of things. On our bases, there are a couple of things that maybe you may not be aware of, but that not every vehicle is searched when it comes in and out of a base. The volume of contractors that come on bases, on forts, on air stations, is just enormous. So... Having to stop every vehicle, do an undercarriage search, open everything, search everything, it's, it's not feasible, unfortunately. So that's how it got on. How he got the weapon, we know. He pretended he wanted a, a hunting license. That's how he got it. That's how he got the weapon. Um, why do we train foreign, foreign nationals? And other questions that are circulating throughout American society today. Once again, we are honored to be joined by CBS News Radio Military Analyst General Dan Goodrich, General, thanks so much for joining today. Uh, that, uh, and you're welcome, Paul. Very, it's a very, very important topic. It certainly is, and we couldn't have a better expert, General. I'm going to come right to this. As a retired general and former United States Air Force pilot and an able instructor, is it common practice for the U.S. military to train pilots from other countries? Yes, Paul, it certainly is common practice. Yeah. And if so, how long have we been doing this, General? Well, as I was saying, it, it certainly is uh, uh, a common practice to train, train pilots, not only pilots, but many uh, military people from other nations. And we've been doing this for years and years and years. As a bit of background, uh, I went through pilot training in West Texas in 19... I'm sorry, I went to pilot training in Selma, Alabama in 1974, and we had... Uh, international students with us and at the time in my class we had a Nigerian and a Iranian um, and it was normal practice they they studied with us they lived with us we, they did everything that we did um, 
years later, a few years later, as I, when I was an instructor pilot in, in West Texas, um, we we had international students. And during that time frame, 1979 time frame, as you might recall, uh, we had Iranian we had Iranian students who were part of the training, and quite a few of them. Uh, the exact number I can't remember. It was, but it was more than a dozen training with us and flying with us. And uh, after the uh, hostage situation began, uh, they were grounded and eventually and they just stayed on base because it wasn't safe for them to go off base because of the high emotions running. And eventually they were, they were sent back to their country or some, some state in the United States uh, seeking asylum. So uh, fast forward to mid, late, set, late uh, 90s. Uh, I was commander of a training base in West Texas, and we had a number of foreign nationals that were training with us. And when I say a number, there was um, more than a dozen different countries. A lot of them from the southern hemisphere of the United States, I mean, of America, were training with us. So it's common practice, and it's a very important part of our relationships with with these different countries. All right, so... What, I, what I'm, I'm grappling with, General, um, and I know a lot of our listeners are grappling with this, is can you explain why we have this practice? Well, why do we train know, foreign nationals? This, this situation really calls a, a, a lot of attention to this, and, and there, I can understand the questions because uh, I question it myself sometimes, uh, even knowing the background that I have. Um, but... It's in, it's critical that we maintain this these relationships with our allies. Uh, they come here, they train with us, they learn with us, they go to school with us, uh, they learn our ways, and which makes them better allies, better partners. They use our equipment. Um, they come over and train uh, on equipment that their country has bought. So we train them in the equipment, and. Um, and in later years, their uh, senior members of their military come and, and attend our senior service schools, Air War College, Army War College, Naval, Post, Naval War College, and train with us so they understand how we get to the, to the answers that we get to and, start and understand our strategy. I'm a big believer in this program, but I'm also... I also realize it has to be better managed, and this is a perfect example of of uh, a better management requirement for, uh, for who we allow in our country. Now, now, General, to that question, um, if you could, please, to the extent that you can, obviously, for security reasons, please speak to the vetting process each applicant must go through before being admitted to one of our flight schools. Uh, when I was uh, a commander of a, a wing, I I, I, I uh, tried to understand this very carefully because we had so many different students from different nations come in and uh, train with us. Uh, and did we have any situations where uh, everything went perfectly as, as, it, as it's supposed to? No, because you have to realize that the people that are coming to train in pilot for pilots are pretty young. And, you know, they make mistakes just like our American students made mistakes. But I had to understand the vetting process and a, little, a, a little so I because I wanted to, uh, wanted to be comfortable in what we were doing. 
So at first, mm-hmm. for the vetting process, it starts in the home country, and it's and it goes. Um, uh, they look for backgrounds, and and in this case, um, some of this probably wasn't done as well as it should could have been, or slipped through. The, I don't know, but they look through for background for any any uh, criminal acti- activities, any terrorist activities, any corruption, and that's and that has to and that vetting process in in the home country has to be approved by the U.S. ambassador there. And that's prior to getting a visa and a and travel orders to come, uh, come to our country and study. Okay, General. Let me insert. Let me insert something real quick. So, so Saudi in this case, Saudi Arabia's government um, has their own vetting process, which that vetting process itself has to be approved by the U.S. ambassador to Saudi Arabia. Is that correct? Yeah, as I understand, as I, as the regulation reads, the okay. ambassador staff has to approve that. Yes. Ambassador staff has to approve it. Okay, thank you. I just want to clarify that. Please go on, sir. Well, the only other part I was going to mention is separately there's a, a section that, that uh, the individuals coming here for training have to be uh, clear of any any possible human rights violations or anything along those lines, and that's that's uh, separated out just to ensure that, that we get the right people here and and the right people to train. Uh, it's, it's a fair – it has been – a fairly, um, I won't say intense, but a fairly complete process. But I will tell you that uh, this situation certainly has has me concerned as a citizen, as and me concerned as someone who used to train uh, people in this environment. I I I'm, I know that they're relooking at all the vetting, and as they should. But I, if I could say at this time, I think it's important to realize that. This program is very important, um, and we don't. I don't think we're going to have a knee-jerk reaction, reaction, and 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 cancel all training. But I think we need to take a a, a real hard look at how we uh, vet, especially in some countries that have been notoriously uh, known for their terrorist activity. So uh, it, it's a good process, but it's not good enough. So, so General, to kind of like put all the pieces in this puzzle together, clearly, uh, as a subject matter expert, you've been through this, you've trained in this area. It's, it's incumbent upon us to continue training foreign nationals because at the end of the day, it assists our own pilots if we were to deploy. We're training our allies, not our enemies, so that we can collaborate more expeditiously in the service of our country. Is that a fair statement? That's a good statement. You need to try it. You okay. need to train. You need to train as you're going to fight. And if you're going to fight with people in their homeland, you need to have them understand how you do it, so you can do it together. Right. And 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 as you can imagine, General. I mean, I've been getting hit with questions and comments from a variety of different people, and we're enormously blessed that the show gets shared over the Armed Forces Radio Network. So you can imagine the comments I've been getting from a variety of folks, both active duty and retired and and weighing in on their opinions which you know obviously are important um we look at this process and, and there's a lot of citizens that are writing in saying you know we know for a fact that um you know the the the, the majority of the people that were involved in 9-11 came from saudi arabia why would we continue to train them i would say and please correct me if i'm wrong i would say that that it's never been proven that those individuals were at the direction of the Saudi government. We still are allies with Saudi Arabia, 
So to discontinue a relationship with Saudi Arabia in the totality of the relationship would not be in the best interest of the United States government's ability to protect the United States citizens. Am I accurate by that? Am I off base? Uh, fill me in. No, you're, you're spot on, uh, Paul. Uh, I, I know it's a controversial uh, arrangement, if you will. Uh, even to this day, uh, in our, our in our Congress, they debate whether to continue on the relationship or not, uh, for obvious reasons, for different things that have occurred. But at the at the current time, they are an ally, and if as such, we need to treat them as an ally and train with them because. At the at the end of the day, uh, that's one thing about the military. In that, uh, I won't tell you that there's aren't isn't political thinking within the military. But when it comes to the mission, uh, they, the mission comes first, and then and you decide how you're going to accomplish that mission using all the assets available. And if the assets are foreign nationals who are fighting in, for their country in their homeland, that's the best way to approach it. So we just need to keep training together. We need to vet better, though. We need to so, have a better better vetting process. So basically, this is what this is coming down to. is not the protocol itself, but it's the vetting process. It's who we let in. Obviously, we need to improve on that drastically because, and I say this, generally I say this openly, if we're finding out just days, just days after, and this investigation is going to take months, if not over a year, but in just days after, we're able to ascertain that this individual displayed signs of radicalization back to 2015, two years prior to being admitted to the school. That means that those signs, those communications, those relationships were missed by the Saudi government in their background of this individual, or the process itself is incomplete and insufficient as approved by the U.S. ambassador to Saudi Arabia. This is my state. This is my look. It's got to be one or the other because we know, in my time with DOD, I can say unequivocally there, ha there was never, ever a shadow of doubt about how thorough we had to be in everything we did, everything. So when I look at this, I'm left with A, we understand the process, General, because clearly you make a million percent sense, and that's what, what we have to do is protect our country. We understand this process is something that will help our country. But if we are going to be remiss, then this is on us about who we let in. And in this particular case, we need to start looking at us immediately. I, 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 I applaud the fact that the U.S. government now has suspended access to, uh, I, I don't have the exact number with me right now, but s suspended access to a number of um, other Saudi students that were training here in the United States, which I agree with, they, sh they should do that. But the biggest issue here is, is our process correct? And if it's not, who needs to change it? Leads me to my, my question. A lot of people now are saying, General, you know, Many people are under the impression, and you've been to a number of bases and forts and, and air stations throughout your career, many people are under the impression that all military personnel are armed on our bases. Is, is that correct? 
No, absolutely not. It, it's just like uh, it, it's not. You, you you would think people that are trained in uh, in the use of weapons would, would be able to carry weapons on on a base on a post, but no. The, the, as, right now, it is not like that. Well, you know, I go to a comment that I got from one of our loyal listeners. He's a retired uh, retired army and uh, a, a wonderful gentleman, an officer. And um, Monty, if you listen, I appreciate everything. But, you know, he made a great comment to me, and, and I, I won't share it without his permission, but in essence, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but just that what you just said, you know, we, we have the greatest training, we have the greatest military, that we go through all this. Why in the world would we not want to be armed? So I think that as we look at this and we self-examine, this is another situation, this is another practice that we're going to need to correct, General, is why not arm everyone on a military base? Why are we having things like this on a military base? I mean, I get the point. There's a lot of people say, of course, the media jumps in and says, well, how to get on the base? Well, because you have no idea about how many people come on a base. I mean, General, you and I have been to, and I'm just using this as an example, we've both been to Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. We know how many contractors are admitted to that base every day, right? I mean, how could you possibly stop and search every car? Would you agree with that? No, absolutely. It's a a physical impossibility. Right. So we understand that part. But as far as arming military personnel, I'd have to weigh in on all of our military personnel on a military base, installation, fort, station, must be armed. That's, that's where I would weigh in on that, General. I would agree with you on that uh, wholeheartedly. And my last question, as we look at this, General, what process will the Navy engage in now in investigating the shooting? Well, Paul, the first thing they've done is they've, um, I'll say, grounded the, the Saudi students that were in the, are in the flying training program. They're, they're not able to continue in the flying program. Uh, I think they're still going to uh, ground classes, but and they're, they're not... And then they're sequestered on the base. I believe they have to stay on the base. But what they'll do now is take a look at the, their own vetting process. I know the Escambia County Police is concerned about it, saying, you know, we need to understand better. We, as in the civilian community, need to understand who's who's living with within us. Um, so they'll they'll do they will do their own personal uh, vetting of people coming in. But basically. Uh, this is a bigger issue than just the Navy. It's got to be. It's got to be done by the by the uh, federal government on on to ensure that the the right people are coming into our country uh, with the right mindset. Um, is, and the, the sad part about it is is nothing's a hundred percent. This is a horrible thing that's happened. As we look back on it, uh, the lesson to learn from it is do a better job of vetting. Will you? Can you assure that 100% of the people that come into your country are not going to be uh, um, do something terrible in their country? No, but we need to get better at it so that we minimize the possibility of something bad happening like this horrible thing that happened at um, Pensacola. I would agree entirely, General. And as we close up, my staff is telling me that we don't have a firm number. We know that it's over 300. There have been a couple of numbers thrown out there, but no one can say specifically at this point. We know that it's at least 300 Saudi nationals training to be pilots uh, have been grounded. So, uh, and that number, again, is over 300. We don't have a specific number. As, as we close this out, though, I think what we're, what we're leaving here with, General, and, and to, your, to your closing point, what we're leaving here with 
is in what I ask everyone that's listening to put your arms around this. We need to be very careful when we go, as a country, when we go through a crisis like this, not to lump every individual who's Saudi Arabian in the same bucket. We simply can't do that. I know we want to do it. I know we want to say there were Saudis that, that ran planes into, into the towers and the Pentagon and in Pennsylvania. And you know what? We need to... I understand that. I was on the ground in 9-11. I get it. I understand that. But we simply can't put... We can't put everybody in the same bucket. We also can't stop a procedure that tactically protects the United States. Remember, we train and train and train in our military, which is why we are the greatest military in the world. We train and train and train, and we train some more. And, we, and, and that's why training foreign nationals that are our allies, that we will have the probability of working with, we have to be prepared so when we deploy, it's seamless. Please understand that. But what we need to take away from today is we have dropped the ball in the vetting process. This guy should not have been let in. We don't know how many other people are going to get filtered out in the wash. I know the FBI is wanting to look, is this loan or is this other people? If I was a betting man, which I'm not, anybody who's ever played cards with me knows I'm not a betting man. But if I were, I'd be betting on there's more people involved. But we'll let, let the FBI and the DOD come up with that. But what we need to walk away from this is American lives were lost. There's no two ways of looking at that. They were lost on a military installation. That should absolutely never happen. They were allowed in this country, as the general was saying, by a process that's created initially a vetting process by the home country, but approved by the U.S. ambassador to that country. That's broken. It needs to be fixed. There's no excuse for this. I don't want to hear any excuses for it. There's no excuse for it. And we need to really start examining why our military... Put it this way, every member of our military on a military base should be armed. End of story. Our military bases should be known everywhere in the world as the fortress of fortresses. End of story. That should never happen. It shouldn't happen anywhere, but sure shouldn't happen there. So I'll leave you with that thought today. In general, I thank you very, very much for joining us today. Your insight, as always, spot on, perfect. Truly enjoy being with you, but also for shedding light at a time of crisis that we really needed a solid answer to. So on behalf of everybody here at CBS News Radio, I want to thank you for joining us today. Yes, my pleasure, Paul. And, and for everybody listening as we close, let's remember this. American lives were lost here today. There have to be lessons learned. They have to be learned expeditiously. We need to take all this under advisement. But we do need to remember, we do need to remember that we can't condemn an entire population because of the acts of, of, of certain individuals. But we sure as hell can do a better job at vetting who gets in and who, does, who gets out. And we need to make sure we do that. As we close today, I ask you to remember the lives that we lost. And God rest their soul. And we'll talk to you next week. Be safe, be well. God bless. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, 
Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.